Minister Sonia Hosey. I am the founder of Iron Sharpen Iron for my sisters. We have a new program and it's called She Speaks Wellness. She Speaks Wellness is a program which addresses the overall well-being of women. We are emphasizing the emotional well-being of women that we have encountered, uh, especially Black and African-American women. One of the things that we have decided as a part of our group is that we're going to look at women across the board. I mean, we're talking in this month, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And so this is an opportunity for us just to talk sister to sister about issues that affect us as mothers, as sisters, as uh, in every facet of life, because we understand that we have so many different roles. And so tonight I have Nicole Trefan. Uh, she is a mother of an adult uh, child. I would say child because they're always our children. Uh, but she's going to talk a little bit about who she are, who she is, and uh, we're going to have back and forth conversation about what's going on. So again, thank you so much, Nicole. I, I miss you. I hope everything is well. Can you just introduce yourself to the audience? Hello, my name is Nicole Trefan. I am currently living in Madison, Wisconsin. I'm a recent transplant here. I moved here for a job to be a senior nuclear safety specialist. I have two children. I have an older son who's serving in the um, Air Force in Florida. And I have my younger son, his, and he is 17. He's in his senior year and supposed to graduate in the next three weeks. Okay. Well, you know what? Congratulations um, to have a child getting ready to graduate. I mean, I'm certain that that's a huge milestone. You know, I didn't, I didn't realize you had an, uh, another adult son. He's in the military, you said? Yes, he is. He's serving oh. in the Air Force at Her Hurlburt Field. Okay. All right. Well, that's, that's awesome. Again, I said that uh, this month we are in the month of May, which is Mental Health Awareness Month. And Nicole, one of the things that I wanted to do as we have a conversation, especially being a parent, um, talk a little bit about your experience, or let me just let me just say it this way: um, you have a child, adult child, who has or is experiencing mental health. Do you want to talk a little bit about um, about some of the, I guess, some of the growth, some of the strengths, some of the lessons learned uh, through your journey as you um, are raising a child uh, with mental health challenges? Well, I first should start off with his diagnosis, um, the most recent evaluation, and that evaluation is going to be a neuropsychological evaluation. Uh, that evaluation is where the child sits with um, a psychologist, probably a PhD level psychologist, and runs through a battery of tests, and this can take up to two days. So the last um, battery of tests that we did, or neuropsychoanalysis, he was major depressive with psychotic features, and he has attention deficit disorder. Um, attention deficit disorder is adjacent to uh, attention hyperactivity disorder or ADHD. Uh, ADHD is like a, an umbrella for a variety of disorders. Um, 
he's on the spectrum for some of the disorders under the umbrella. So for a while there, they thought it was oppositional defiance disorder. Um, when he was much younger, they did think it was ADHD um, hyperactivity disorder, attention hyperactivity disorder. As he's gotten older, um, he's been less hyperactive, but the attention deficits are still there. Um, when you start doing the evaluation, and I would say um, I did the evaluation through my own insurance because the schools, although they claim that they're funded for it, very rarely, especially where I was living in Hutto, which is a suburb of Austin, were not willing to spend the monies to do the evaluation, although they agreed there was an issue going on with my son. So um, the initial valuation going in, and this was at five years old, they thought he had autism. So they were looking for autism, but at that time I was told he was borderline cognitive and mm. that he had learning disabilities, but he was so young, they weren't going to be able to ascertain what those learning disabilities were. And so through the school system uh, here in, the, in Texas, you stated that there were very limited resources. What happened when you um, went out and got a private assessment for him? I was encouraged after I had the assessment that I should get the 504 and um, share the results of the testing with the school. There was a 504 in elementary, a committee that was um, held, but they really did not make any accommodations for my son. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they didn't make accommodations and that there weren't really resources, they talked about they had psychologists on staff, but I never knew of any of psychologists on their staff meeting with my son okay. or him really getting any additional help in his studies. Mm. For the audience, can you can you tell us what a 504 is? Uh, 504 has kind of become a catch-all for, I'm going to say, uh, special needs or special education. It can do a variety of things depending on your school's resources. They can bring in assistant teachers that can help your child um, keep them on task during the day while the other teacher is teaching the remainder of the class or pull them out to do more intensive work on various subjects. It can mean that they get breaks throughout the day when they're experiencing maybe uh, overwhelming feelings or they're highly agitated that they would be free to leave the classroom, engage in other activities. Um, and then they could also bring in occupational therapists from outside in the community into the schools if they had the funds to do that. Okay, okay. Because um, the intent is that uh, no child left behind. That is what the an outcome of that legislation. It's just, it's easier said than done. Okay. Okay. And you talked a little bit about uh, what the 504 uh, include. What were some of the positive outcomes as a result of that? Because uh, one of the things we want to do is just to encourage uh, parents, if there, if there was a decision to do the 504, uh, what were some of the uh, benefits of doing that to help support you as a parent and also him as a student? 
from my experience, there was no benefit to doing the 504. Okay. Um, the only benefit is that it got us to a place where we could try and establish a dialogue where there was an understanding that there were some deficits with my son. And um, I I'll say that the school would be quick to um, write a CPS charge against me, a child protective service charge against me and not contact me. Mm. So they knew that my son was had depression. And mm. when my son began making self-harming statements at school, they would tell me that he had made those statements, um, take the precautions that which they take, which is forcing me to come and pick him up from school and then not allowing him to ride home on the bus and advising me to keep sharp objects out of my house because at that time, well, at no time did I have weapons or anything of that nature or even medications that my son could affect a suicide with. And many of the times when he had a plan and I found that he would be more open with the school and the school administrators and talking about what his plan for suicide was than he was with me and we're living day to day in the house. So mm. the, they knew what his plan was. And um, sometimes it involved jumping off bridges and, and things of that nature, running into traffic to hurt himself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I want to ensure that the audience understand is this is real talk coming from a parent who's actually experienced it. And so in her experience, the 504 did not help her as a parent. Now, we are not saying that uh, that her experience will be your experience, but right now we're talking about her truth. And so one of the things that we're learning out of this is that parents must become true advocates. She, was, she is an advocate for her child. She was an advocate for her child. But in this instance, uh, the 504 uh, did not help her get the services and supports that she needed for her for her child. So I just want to do that disclaimer because there are barriers and uh, weaknesses in our system. And as parents, we try to do the best that we possibly can. So let me then move forward uh, because we talked a little bit about his, the mental health and all of that. But let me, let me ask this from you, Nicole. As a parent, Tell me where you are in this place and in this space. And when I'm talking about that, I'm talking about raising a black son and praise God, he's getting ready to graduate. He made it through graduation. I believe I met you many, many years ago and he was in it possibly, I think middle school or something or another, but he's made it, made it through uh, a journey, but he's, but he's made it through. But let me ask from, from you. Where are you at? How did you work through this journey? What are some of the ups and downs, strengths, weaknesses, challenges? Tell us where you are right now, Nicole. So uh, I will be honest that it's difficult. I'm a single mother. Um, it's not that my son's father has not been involved in his life. Probably in the last eight years, he's not been involved. And even when he was involved, it was very sporadic and spotty. And I'm talking from the age of less than two, his father was not engaged in the home or engaged with his child and certainly not receiving 
uh, financial support either. So I'm a head of household trying to um, maintain enough money in order to keep a roof over our heads, food in our mouths, clothes, and uh, the pressures of, you know, keeping up with the Joneses, because certainly living in the neighborhood that we lived in, which I, I felt was a protection that I didn't have to worry about other influences invading my home. It also exposed him to a lot of upper middle class white families with two parent homes. And he got to see that and come in contact with that on a regular basis. And um, the, the harm that that does to a child to see um, a father's um, being fathers to their children or to their son specifically and longing for that and not receiving that and not having a lot of people or men that I could find to engage my son in that same way to kind of fill that gap in his life. Um, also, you know, when the diagnosis came out, my family did not accept the diagnosis initially. And I think in the African-American community, we want to talk about how um, society is trying to pigeonhole Black boys to get them into social ed. And I have to say that, well, two things. It kind of goes back to signs and symptoms, which is looking at your child's development. While Mm -hmm. we look at those development markers and they're based on white children, Mm-hmm. Just because it's a, a marker set at this time and this the station of the life, it does not mean that that child never has to meet that mark. Right, right. So at some point, they were supposed to hit that mark. And if they don't, then we need to ask questions and try to address it. We can't just overlook that they're missing the benchmarks in child development. Another thing is, is that they're saying that the uh, testing is geared towards children, white children as well. While that is true, some of that testing has nothing to do with race. Some of that testing is just looking at your child's ability. Mm-hmm. And if your child does not meet with where they're supposed to be academically, they're giving the questions that they give to all third graders, all mm-hmm. fifth graders. And if your child scores less then that's a deficit. And then they have to look at where that deficit may come from. And they have other tests to check for that, to see how they're retaining language. I know um, in one of the tests that they did, they would read my son a story and then they'd ask him to to write down that story about 15 minutes later. And they found that because he was inattentive, he didn't retain the key pieces of the story such Mm -hmm. that he could never repeat back that story correctly. And that was what's affecting his learning is that he wasn't being able to save the correct information to be able to repeat that information long-term. So as a matter of, uh, I I needed a safe space where I could talk to someone who understood and wasn't judgmental about, um, oh, well, it's, it's, it's something that you've done wrong, done wrong as a mother. It's easy to say, well, if you hadn't have slept with that man and, and had a child out of wedlock, maybe you'd have a father for your son and things would be different. There's a variety of um, isms and blame that come with your child having a mental illness, especially in the African-American community. And it's not addressed as 
an illness, a sickness, that it's something that can be overcome. It may take medication. It may take treatment. And it's no fault on my part. And certainly it's not a fault on my son's part. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Did you experience that a lot? And if so, uh, was it was it family? Was it churches? Where where did you get that from? It, it was from family. But even when trying to engage with, uh, we would we did Cub Scouts and we did baseball, and I didn't feel comfortable sharing the details of my son's illness, and they would wonder why his behavior was erratic or um, different from their child's. And I didn't want to get into the conversation. Right. Uh, and that was out of fear for some reasons, you know, for some ways, because I didn't want another child protective service investigation. Exactly. Because exactly. people were, were quick to do that, to say, well, she's just not um, having it all together, but they don't see the other side of it. And the other right. side of it is that when they did file a child protective service complaint, the woman that came out to my, my house was a black woman. Mm. And she knows that I work for the sister agency, for her yeah. sister agency. I, for a long time, worked for Texas Department of Health Services. Mm -hmm. So, you know, she was welcome to come in my home and look around. And she had an understanding. Mm -hmm. And so she wanted to make sure that I was taking the, the necessary precautions. But many times, um, after one or two of the, the filings, she wouldn't even come out to the house. She just closed those those complaints down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that was a blessing. I, I appreciated that. Right. From someone who understand your, um, your, let me just say a lot of times because we are of African-American community, sometimes it, it is perceived in a different way. Um, I, I was on a, um, on a committee not too long ago, which talked about the child welfare system and how many children of color have been reported well above others that are not of color. And so that they're finding more in the system and the child welfare system versus those that uh, are in comparison to those that are Caucasian. And so again, we understand that the system, there is a breakdown of the system. And so you're talking a little bit about what those experiences, you know, were and uh, how it affected not only you, but it also affected, affected him. Because a lot of times we think, yes, we're gonna take our kids to uh, 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 live in a different uh, uh, neighborhood or environment and all of those different things. But sometimes it's almost like a reverse uh, where it, it just seems as though that it's it's still difficult because of the stigma, because of the um, the uh, shame, all of these different things that goes along with it, and, and especially for a black son, a black raising a black son um, is sometimes very difficult, especially when you are a single single mother. What are some and of the supports? One, I wanted to speak to that because oh. that will look differently for different mothers. Okay. Um, one of the reasons I didn't have a problem was there was not another a man living in my house. So it was just me and my child living in the house. Okay. If you had if I had had a man, certainly that was not my child's father living at the house, then mm. it would come to whether or not he was employed, 
whether or not there was drug use occurring. Yes, yes. All of those things play into it. So if it wasn't just that I had gotten the complaint, but that my business was pretty clean, not all of us can say that. And and understand having an understanding that you can live your life and make the decisions that you want to make, but you have to view that from other people's perspective, especially from a child protective service perspective. So if you have a child with mental illness and then you get a complaint and then your household is in disarray, as they would call it, then it's more likely that your child could be removed. And I, I was fearful that because there was more multiple complaints that he would be removed. Uh-huh. Except for the fact that I knew that I was doing the best I could as a parent and providing a decent home for my child. And it doesn't mean to say that you're not providing a decent home if you have a man living with you and you're not married or something of that nature, but it's what they believe is how you should be raising your child, especially when you have a child that's got uh, a mental illness or special needs. Mm-hmm. 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 So, uh, and we may have kind of touched on this, but I want to go back, uh, back to this again. You, um, as a mother or, or you separately from your son, what have you done to help with your mental health? What have you, what have you been doing to help with your mental health? So I see a therapist, I see a counselor. I've been seeing one off and on just to process things because there are things that I really feel ashamed to talk about. Mm. Um, part of the ADD and depression has to do with hygiene. And a lot of people say, well, all boys struggle with hygiene. Um, in my, I've, this is beyond the pale to, to, to have to share with somebody that um, my son gets up and doesn't want to take a shower or comb his hair or brush his teeth and will fight me, even in his teens, will fight me about that, about wearing clean clothes, will fight me about that 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 is an issue that I deal with even today about hygiene. And it's it's not something that's going to be resolved. Who do I share that with? That's mm -hmm. embarrassing. It's a reflection on me that I don't make sure my son's hygiene is taken care of, but he's not my baby bumblebee. Right. And it's almost inappropriate to go in the shower or in the bathroom when he's naked. That's not appropriate for me to be doing at his age. I think a lot of times as as mothers, uh, sometimes it's difficult to allow our children to become independent because we want the best. We want the best for our children, regardless of what age they are, um, how old they get, whether they're in the house, outside of the home. We still are protective mothers and we want the best for our children. And some of the lessons learned that we must learn is that the same way that we've made it, they can too. But those are, what you're talking about right now is a real fear. It's the reality. It is how, as parents, would feel. And I, I believe, and, and, and let me just say this just from my perspective, I believe there there must become a point in time where we say, you know what, 
we're going to have to release. We have to release them and know that God is going to carry them. As fearful as it may be, but this may be a, a growing opportunity, not only for him, but also for, for you. These are experiences as parents a lot of times feel for, you know, for their adult kids. Um, and sometimes it's fearful. Sometimes that transition uh, in life is difficult. Um, but sometimes that's kind of like the growing point. That's that kind of transition point where we realize these kids are, they're getting older and they're more mature. And so now, even now it's, it's, it's saying you're, you should no longer be embarrassed of that. However, you're speaking your truth. And I'm just going to say from this end, we have to work through, work through the idea that now as an adult, now there is his responsibility and know you as a parent, you should not be shamed. You should not be shamed. And the thing about it is, and I like this kind of discussion because the reality is there's other parents that feel the same way as you. And that's the reality. And part of this mental health, as we're talking about mental health, this is the piece that begins to uh, provide healing because a lot of times people need to hear, look, that's the same thing that I felt, that Nicole is talking about the same thing that I felt. And so with you being transparent about how you, how you feel, uh, what you uh, encountered, things that has happened uh, as you're raising your son and you're coming up on a graduation. And I'm certain there's been different types of thoughts that come in, that's come across your mind about now what uh, in, his, in his life. But let's go to the, let's go on to another note. Because uh, you've hit some some real good uh, milestones that I think that you should be very proud about. And so give me maybe about two or three things that you're proud about. Because even though we may be dealing with other things that may keep us, um, you know, um, maybe depressed or uh, fearful or, or just certain uncomfortable things thoughts and ideas, but tell me three or four good things that you believe that you have done as a mother, the good things, not only as a mother, but also in, for yourself in, re, in regards to, to the growing pains. I guess, I guess I can say it that way, growing pains. So what have been some good things? Um, I felt like we had gotten to a good place almost with the school, but I felt that way because my son had been in traditional public school for so long and we had transitioned to LBJ and in Austin. And that was such a terrible experience that I had to find something different. And so that something different was Austin Achieve to go to charter school where there was more structure and he did well and felt comfortable, more at peace, his grades were better. And so now that we've moved, he went back to public school 
and there was a decline again because he didn't have that support, that environment. And I tried very hard to get him into a charter school here. I just couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was grateful for the progress he made at Austin Achieve. Things were so much better. Um, He was engaged more with the teachers. He seemed to be, um, he was taking AP classes, if that, (laughs) (laughs) for for someone with ADD taking AP English class, uh, taking AP, I think he's taking AP physics, just excelling and doing well. Right. Right. Um, I'm excited or happy that I think he's in good health. I mean, he does have depression, but hopefully um, Minister Hosey and I have been teaching uh, mental health, youth mental health first aid so that I am more comfortable asking the hard questions mm-hmm. around suicide so that I monitor him and how he's feeling with the depression. I know with regular um, depressive language, that is nobody likes me. Um, He used to say that when he was little, going to school, nobody likes me. And I never picked up on that, that that is a symptom of depression. You can have a day or two of nobody likes me, but if every day is a nobody likes me, that's inconceivable. Someone does like you. So it's, it's something that needs to be addressed. But um, that I'm able to um, address his, you know, his suicidation quicker and that I have experience to know what to do because for a while there, I was caught off guard and I didn't know to, how to handle his um, language about he was going to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. I, I know where the resources are more so in Austin than here, but I know where the resources are, where I can get an evaluation, you know, the same night, most likely at Austin Child Guidance Center or Seton Shoal Creek and take my child in for an evaluation if I'm scared of of, of what might happen or what he might do to himself. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, there are other uh, groups um, and agencies that treat adolescents uh, with mental health. If you look in the community and reach out, they have support groups where um, they're adult led and they can talk about their feelings, certainly because high school is high school and social media is social media. So they feel the pressure and the bullying that goes on and they're able to um, have an outlet for those feelings instead of getting to a place where they don't feel like they want to be here anymore and they want to harm themselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One of the things that I, um, and I'm glad that you stated it, is that you took the initiative to learn different skills around helping around the um, mental health, even assessing to recognize the signs and symptoms of, of different behaviors. And so that's something that it, it, it is uh, encouraged that people go and receive the resources or the trainings that they need in order to not only help their families and themselves, but also their communities. It's very important for us to take the initiative to go out and learn 
there's so many organizations that's out there that are, that is willing to come out to provide information and resources to families. It is just for us to take the initiative to be proactive and to looking for how we can support. And so that's basically what you've been talking about, Nicole, is that you have to go out there and do some things in order to help yourself and also your, your son. But the beauty of it all is that you were, you were able to use those same tools to help others. And that's the blessing part, you know, because this is a lifelong learning process. I mean, we still have to learn every single day. We're still learning, learning about ourselves and learning about our family members. And that's the beauty of it. That's just the beauty of it. Is there something else that you would like to share um, as we begin to close that you think is really important for people to know? What are some things that you think would be some of the takeaways? What, what, what do you think would be important for people to know? Um, what I'm dealing with now is that care is better than no care. And I, I as a, a Black woman, and certainly with all of the things that have gone on in our country, understand the importance of having my Black son be in counseling with a Black man, mm-hmm. but that is becoming more and more difficult. I did have that in Austin, but I've moved to where um, our percentage of the population is probably half of that in Austin. So that the likelihood of me finding a black man to treat my son, especially during COVID (laughs) when they weren't really wanting to do in-person counseling is difficult. And so I did have to shift instead of continuing on that, oh, I have to have a black counselor, take what is available and continue to look. Awesome. I'm so glad that you stated that because you, you, you kind of stated, you know, a lot of times, yes, we do want to find therapists that are understand our culture. Uh, but you said something that was so important. Find some help now, regardless. And then if there is a, nece- a necessity to transfer over to someone uh, that's, that has the culture, then that's fine. However, you did the right thing by finding someone that can help right now because the necessity is, is now. Um, yes, we have our preferences, but again, we got to find the support in order to you know, help our children and, and others. Um, and also flexibility. Not every black therapist is going to work with your insurance. So it may be that you need to approach them and say, well, can you do a sliding fee scale? And don't be embarrassed to ask that. Right. Because I know most of us don't have $150 to lay down per counseling session. Per counseling session. What is that, about an hour? That's for an hour. Oh, wow. Um, So don't be afraid to ask. If there is a therapist that you think might work good for yourself or your child, hey, could you do a sliding fee scale? Mm-hmm. It may not, It you know, if you're just doing twice a month, maybe you can work in your budget to afford that counselor that's really important to you. And that's mm-hmm. just gonna have to be one of the adjustments you make if you mm-hmm. want someone who reflects who you are and has an understanding of your life experience, how you live in the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But they should be all trained and be able to help. So, there's right. 
Right, right. But what would you say um, as a as a woman, as a mother, separated from your child, what would you say is necessary for the parent in order for care for themselves? Find someone that you feel heard and you want to make progress. You don't expect change to happen within one or two weeks. But you yourself should see improvement over months time. If you feel as if you're not improving, you're not feeling better, they're not giving you helpful strategies, they're just listening to you, maybe you can move to a different counselor. Because just because you found one doesn't mean that that's the one for you. You may need to keep looking for a counselor, someone that's actually going to help you understand what your needs are and that you are improving and having progress. It's not just someone to vent with. We want to get better. Because some of the things are, as a parent, you need to work on you. Right. Um, my family of origin was not the best. So some of the things I've gotten to work on through raising my son is processing out some of those learned behaviors, certainly around discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, my my mother was very into physical discipline and I've tried it and found it to be, especially with my son, ineffective. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, if everyone knows that your child has a mental illness, you have to be concerned about perception if you want to go whole ham in public and discipline your child. Because at what point is that not just abuse, but you're abusing the mentally disabled. Right, right, right. Well, I I thank you because you've covered quite a bit. You've talked a little, you've talked about uh, the support that you had to give your son uh, in school and you had to advocate in, in many ways. I mean, there were some situations that it worked and there were some situations uh, that did not work, uh, but you then just, dis- uh, determine different uh, strategies as to the next level. Because a lot of times what we need to remember is that it's an ongoing process. There's some schools that will work, some that will not work. There's certain strategies that will work. There's some that will not work. And so you talked a little bit about those resources that's available, not only for yourselves, because you talked about the mental health um, uh, first aid training, and then some additional uh, community resources that you sought out. And so that's what we want people to understand. We got to do the work. Yes, it's, um, there's a whole lot of things that's been going on now uh, that has even uh, increased anxiety and, and depression and all of these different feelings. But one thing that I do want to say is that when we have God in the midst of all of that, he gives us the strength and the endurance, the strength and the endurance, because he will never leave us, nor will he ever forsake us. That, therefore, it means that we are never, never alone in all of this. Now, in the faith community, one of the things that we all, most, we all should remember is that, yes, we do pray. Yes, we do believe. Yes, we do have faith. However, we must be practical 
God wants us to move, to get wisdom, knowledge, and understanding in every facet of our lives. We must do that in every situation. He wants us to have a balanced, uh, balanced mind, mind, body, and spirit. He wants all of that. And so Nicole has uh, talked about, and I thank you, Nicole, that talked about, yes, you had to go through counseling. Yes, there were some things that you did um, that, you know, you tried, you know, when you were talking about the discipline and you realized that that didn't work. And so there's ups and downs of life, but throughout the whole process, it's all about learning through the process. There's lessons learned through the process. And so one thing that I want to tell you, Nicole, is that I want to tell you, uh, you've done a great job. I met you many, many years ago, and I'm going to continue to tell you that you've done a great job. Parents need to understand and hear that you've done a great job. A lot of times we want to say, well, what did I do? What did I, should I have done this? Should I have done that? All of these different things. But I believe side by side, you walking with your son, he learned about you. He learned about himself. You learned about him and you learned about your, yourself, about your strengths and weaknesses. During this May Mental Health Awareness Month, our purpose is to continue to bring awareness in our Black African American community, but also not only bring the story, not only bring uh, the challenges, but also bring the hope. And the hope is through getting the strategies, the information, and the resources. Because we understand that there's always light in the very midst of darkness. There's always going to be that, but it's lessons learned. And so we should never feel as though that we're by ourselves. Never feel as though that we're all by ourselves. So this is what uh, mental health awareness is about. That we still can have depression. We still can have anxiety but we still are survivors. We still are victorious in every area in our life. It's just how do we deal with it? We deal with it in the mindset of God is ahead of all things in our lives. So I thank you so much, Nicole, for sharing your, uh, your story. I hope and I pray. And you know what? I know, I know that someone will hear this and uh, hear their story from your story. And they would be, begin to understand, yes, I too, I'm dealing with this. However, now I'm learning. I'm learning to be transparent and it's okay. And now it's just, now I just need to get help for myself and also for my family. So I thank you so much, Nicole. And um, I hope that um, we continue just to have these conversations and continue just to bring this awareness. And again, on behalf of the Iron Sharp and Iron, uh, She Speak Wellness, again, my name is Minister Sonia Hosey. Every month, we're going to continue to bring up conversations on our Iron Table Talk, She Speak Wellness. And again, we thank you and we look forward to hearing you or being with you again next month. God bless. Stigma is still prevalent in the Black community. It can be challenging to discuss the topic of mental health 
because of the shame and the stigma. We are seeking to change the course, to change the conversation. Now, as a black community, the US, the churches and other faith institutions can play a huge role in how we address mental health and the quality of life. So we're gonna continue the conversation. This is Mental Health Awareness Month. This is Minister Sonia Hosey. Iron sharpen iron as one person sharpens another. She speaks wellness.